So, Philemon, chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. I was wondering how I was going to do this. I was going to do all 25 verses at one time, but it ended up being you get the first seven verses. Jesus changes everything. I hope you realize that. Philemon, chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. If you would, stand for reading of God's Word. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Ephippius, Ariphius, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, my brother. This is the word of God. Okay, let's try that again, you weaklings. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Now that's how you do it, just like Jack. Good job. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time to study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Lord, please speak to us today things that you want us to hear. This is a wonderful few, few verses here. Lord, you're going to teach us about forgiveness. You're going to be teaching us how Jesus changes lives. Open our spiritual ears and our eyes. Help us to see and hear the things of the Spirit today. Speak to us, Lord, things that we need to know. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the theme is forgiveness and change lives. Forgiveness and change lives. And I want to just mention this before we get into the introduction. Now, the introduction is just taken from the, if you have a study Bible, the information is taken from a source like that. It's, it's a compilation of many sources, but you have in the front of, of your Bible, in front of each, each chapter, each, each book, a study section. So it's something like that. But before I say that, I want to talk to you about forgiveness. And first of all, forgiveness for the brethren is a must. If you're a Christian, it is imperative that you have a forgiving spirit. We're going to be talking quite a lot about this. Ephesians 4.32, forgiving each other just as Christ, got, Christ got, and God forgave you. Matthew 6.15, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, this is kind of scary, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And I want you to think about something. When you look at an unforgiving person, what are you seeing in them? Usually you are seeing either a toxic spirit, a sad spirit, a concerned spirit, a miserable spirit. Unforgiveness makes a person miserable. And we're going to expand on that as we get into our teaching today. In the introduction, the title is Philemon. It's written to Philemon. It has to do with slavery. Onesimus was a slave, stole some stuff from Philemon, and now he's going to have to make amends with Philemon. It was written by Paul in his first Roman imprisonment in 60 to 62 AD. And think about this. Paul is guarded by a Roman soldier 24-7, chained to him, chained to him. He was permitted to receive visitors in this, in this imprisonment, the first one. He had opportunities to share the gospel. And you know how successful he was? He impacted the house of Caesar himself in Philippians 4.22. There was no, not a moment that you see in Paul in these prison epistles, by the way, which are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then he also wrote a personal letter to Philemon. You don't see a, 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 a nanosecond of why me. 
of poor me. Of why now, God? You don't see that with Paul. And I think there are lessons in life that we can learn from this. Life is full of sinkholes, and they can spring up at any time. Paul had a whole bunch of sinkholes, and they surprise you, and you got these, this surprise. Do you think, you think this guy wasn't having a little shock and awe as he's driving along and his world fell in? Just think of your world, how quickly your life can change in a moment, in a moment of time. And when, oftentimes when these surprises come, it keeps us trapped in unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, blame, blaming others, blaming God. It's very common. And I think that Paul was productive in his sinkholes, and I think we have a lot to learn from this. In his incarceration, and again, he wrote three letters, and he really is focusing on Philemon forgive. Philemon forgive. Philemon forgive Onesimus. He's going to get a lot of pressure on Philemon as we get into this next week. The letter was delivered by a guy named Tychius, who was a fellow minister. Tychius delivered the, delivered the letter and also took Onesimus through safe travels through over to Rome, to, in order, through the streets of Rome, in order to make amends with Philemon, or to Colossae to make amends with Philemon. The reason it was dangerous was because there were slave catchers that would be in Rome. Their whole life purpose was to catch slaves. Catch slaves. And I want to just to think about something. Onesimus' life was changed when he came in contact with Paul. Philemon's life was changed when he came in contact with Paul. Paul introduced both of these as you were introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he changed your life, changed your destiny, changed your, the kingdom, changed your king, changed your eternity. And think about this one. God is a God of startovers. New beginnings, and when you think about new beginnings, think about how God forgave you much. Forgiveness is the key to joy in our lives. Forgiveness is defined as this, to send away, to release from bondage, to let it go. Forgiveness frees us from bondage, and I'm going to be talking a lot more about that as we get into our teaching. Now, where was the church of Colossae, where Philemon's, Philemon's house was? Well, there's a map here, and I want you to notice, it's close to the seven churches of Revelation. Remember, we went through this, but notice the close proximity between Laodicea and Colossae. There was a lot of toxic stuff that was going on here in Colossae within the church. There were the Gnostics who believed in special knowledge. They had special information, special insight. They had angel worship. They had, a, they had a, a skewed view of who humanity was, that you can do whatever you want with your body. Your spirit means everything. Do what you want with your body. That gave them license to do whatever they wanted in a sexual, sinful way. And, and the church established in Colossae had to deal with those false teachers and false teaching. And again, Philemon owned at least one slave. One slave. And in Roman law, if you were a slave and you escaped, it was punishable by death. Your master could do anything to you, kill you, imprison you, beat you, whatever he wanted to do. So Onesimus fled to Rome after he stole money from Philemon, and he got lost in the slave population. It was in Rome that Onesimus somehow met Paul and had his life changed. And again, Paul wanted him to go back 
and make restitution with Philemon. He wanted things to be made right. The Romans labeled runaway slaves fugitives. And the greatest modern histor historian on ancient slavery, this guy named Moses Finley, says this, Fugitive slaves are almost an obsession. Catch them. Return them. It was a passion that they had. There were many runaway slaves. And Philemon is getting this letter from Paul, forgive Onesimus. Forgive Onesimus. God has forgiven you, Philemon. Forgive Onesimus. Now, I want you to think about something. Slavery was slavery's popularity in Rome, and it was very popular. And I want to speak just a moment about slavery. Now, in our country, we have enslaved the, the black population, and, and we had to fight a civil war for that freedom, and there's still that war going on now to, for people to be free. Okay, and I think we've made much progress. Rome was every place they conquered, they enslaved. So it's not about race or color. It's about the inhumanity of man being inhuman to other humans. They, they enslaved anybody they came in contact with. 30 to 40% of the population of Rome were, slaved, were slaves. They had more slaves doing the labor than people they would hire for labor in Rome. Paul's day. Slaves were not legally considered persons. They were tools to their masters. They were bought. They were sold. They were inherited, exchanged, seized. They were simply property. They were not treated as humans. And that has been something that has been a condition of humanity. Whenever someone enslaves somebody else, they are looked at as not humans, just property. The masters had unlimited power. Modern day slavery. Now, there was a lot of hard work by the abolitionists. Abolitionists simply were trying to abolish the slave trade. And this goes all the way back to the early colonies when the early, early people that were here in the 1600s were trying to do away with slavery. But the King George wanted to promote slavery and, and, and refused to stop slavery in the colonies. Sadly, the ab abolitionist work of ending slavery did not end in the 19th century. Because there is modern slavery today. Think about this. All over the world, there's 40.3 million people enslaved today. Different countries. Slavery is very common with sinful humanity. Enslaving someone else. What does modern slavery look like? This is taken from multiple sources. Now, it's, it, it is this. People, are, people being forced to work against their will. This can take the form of prostitution, physical bondage, which you would look at as, uh, naturally as a slave, forced labor, human trafficking, debt bondage, or simply being born into slavery. Born into slavery. And you know who experiences the worst of this? Young children and women. Those are the most that are targeted. They have no options. Countries with the highest concentration of slaves, North Korea, Uzbekistan, Cambodia, India, Qatar, have the highest percentage per their populace. Okay? Now think about that. The majority of enslavers in our world are communist, Muslim, and Hindus. Very common throughout the world. Even in early times, even, even when slave trade was, was, was the big thing in, in this country, tragically so, 
It was the, it was the Muslims in the African trade areas that were getting other Africans, taking other Africans to the, to the trade docks to be sold into slavery. Christianity was instrumental in abolishing the slave trade. Wilberforce in, in England, 20 years he fought against slavery. 20 years to abolish slavery, and finally he was successful. Think about this one. Not all Christians were abolitionists, and this surprised me when I read this. George Whitfield was a slave owner. He wasn't always into slavery, but he became a slave owner. He promoted slavery. He originally was opposed to slavery. You know what happened to George? He, there were many slave traders that got saved and convinced him that slave trading was okay. And he bought into that worldview. This is George Whitfield. It's an amazing thing. He became indoctrinated. He became brainwashed to the, to the times that he was living in. And he bought into their worldview. It was unbiblical. It's unbiblical to consider a fellow human a non-human. What did Whitfield and what must we do? We must all, he should have done this, guard your heart. Guard your heart, people, because you can be indoctrinated into something that you never thought that you would embrace as you hear it over and over and over and your friends are buying into it. Guard your mind. Guard against justifying sinful behavior. Guard against rationalizing sin. We are great at rationalizing. Humanity is. God says something is a sin. Then what is it? A sin. It is, it is a sin. Sin is sin even if the majority don't believe it's a sin. God is the determinator of, of truth. You know, the, the majority tend to sway the minority into their, into their worldview. Let me say this. God does not give a wit about polls. You know that. It doesn't matter who. Oh, there's 95% of the people. If God is against it, it is wrong. He does not give a wit about what the majority thinks. What is a wit? A small amount. A little teeny amount, okay? Now, a word on sex trafficking today. This is not a third world issue. This is not a third world issue. It's happening in America today. And the most exploited, tragically, are African American and Latino youth. 52% of those caught up in commercial acts of, of slave, in the slave trade are from that group. Slavery exists today in our world, and it is appalling. Now, thoughts about God and slavery. Now, let's look at this. Now, you've heard me say this before. This should be a review for most of you. This is the key. All are made in the image of God. All humans are made in the image of God. That is the imago Dei, the image of God. That is important. All humans. There is no race that is superior. There's no gender that is superior. There is no color station. All those things we, we use as humans to separate people. By, by the way, it always separates. Always separates. Every person is valuable to God deserving fair treatment and justice and treated with dignity, honor, and respect. Now let's extrapolate from this a few other things than just human slavery. Because the, the infirmed, because they're made in the image of God, are not expendable. The disabled are still made in the image of God. They're not just expendable. 
when you get old, you are just not expendable. Let's just get rid of you. That's an amen. I got that one too. Amen. And listen to this. Babies in the womb are not expendable. They are not expendable. I knew I'd get an amen with that one, so thank you. Now, slavery in Israel was a little bit different. If you were an Israelite and you were enslaved, you were actually like an like, uh, indentured servant. You had to pay off your debt. And you couldn't be a slave for more than six years in Israel before you were set free. That's Exodus uh, 21 2. The Bible teaches, folks, that all authority is God's authority. And all our freedom is given from God. The practice of slavery in America clearly violated the biblical precepts that we see in Scripture against kidnapping, the fair treatment of servants, the prohibitions of threat, brutality, abuse, and death. Clearly, this is taught against in Scripture. Likewise, the practice of slavery in the U.S. sought to ignore the image of God, to violate and rob people of true justice. The ultimate course and direction of the Christian faith values, humanizes, frees captives for a life of maturity and responsibility to God. I like that statement, whoever I took that from. Okay? God's view is this, no partiality. I perceive, what, he's, what, what Peter's saying, I perceive that everyone is equal, all equal before God, no prejudice allowed. Martin Luther King had this right. We do not judge by the color of anyone's skin, but by the content of their character. He was dead on with that one. Christ came to set people free from their enslavement. Now, from world slave, now look, at when you got saved, you were freed, but a slave of Jesus. Okay, just so you know that. So, so, so we would go from a world slave to a Christ slave. Now, there's a lot of people who don't like that concept of slave, and they don't like that terminology or thought of being a slave. But those who are set free by Christ become Christ's slave. His bondservant is what it says in Scripture. His doulos. His doulos. A willing doulos. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And what was that? The precious, precious blood of Jesus. Bought, purchased out of the slave market of sin. Jesus paid the price. His life for your life. That's what Jesus did. Those saved are in permanent service to him. But this is the qualifier. Willing slaves. Willing slaves. Oh, I want to be a slave of the Lord Jesus. You know what's great about being a slave of Jesus? You inherit everything he has. We are joint heirs with Christ. I mean, you talk about a rich slave. We are the richest of the richest. Can't, it's an unbelievable. Paul was willing to intervene in Onesimus' freedom, setting the captive free. We too must be willing to intervene in those who are captive to whatever slavery they are captivated by. Again, there's multiple things that can enslave people. You know how we set people free? We introduce them to the freedom fighter. Who would that be? The Lord Jesus Christ sets people free. Luke 4.18 says this, he came to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's freedom to the captives. Recover of sight to the blind. To set at liberty, freedom, those who are oppressed. And you know this when John 8.36. If the Son makes you free, what is it? You are free indeed. Yes, you are. 
Now, this week we're going to be talking about Jesus changes everything. Now, Paul's life was changed. In verses 1 and 2, his life was changed. He was changed from from an absolute Christ hater, a church hater. He became an apostle, then a bondservant, and now he's a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. Verse 1 and 2, Paul, a prisoner of of Christ Jesus, and, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy was just there with him. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, and to the beloved Aphia, that's the wife, Archippus, that's the son, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Philemon was a real believer that had a house church immersed in a difficult area of Colossae. Difficult ministry. Paul's life, folks, was changed in a moment. You know it. On the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. You know, Jesus came into his life, changed him in a moment. He was forgiven, changed, and set free. He goes from a Christ hater, a hater of the way. You know what they used to call Christians? The way. Why? Because Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. They wanted, he wanted to kill people in Damascus, imprison them, imprison them. And he went from no longer a Christ hater to a Christ lover, to a Christian hater to a Christian himself. He identifies three ways as an apostle of, of Christ. To be an apostle of Christ, you had to have seen the risen Christ. There are no apostles of Christ today, by the way. There's this big apostolic movement that is not a, that's a false movement. You have to see the you have to see the, the risen Christ, be called by him personally, and be authenticated by signs and wonders. He is a bondservant of the Lord Jesus in Titus chapter 1, verse 1, and other places. Now he's a prisoner in Philemon chapter 1. Confined to a Roman prison, shackled to a Roman soldier, Paul was forever productive. Remember that. No matter what sinkhole comes into your life, you can still be productive. Paul did not sink into depression He did not withdraw into anger, and he wasn't pointing his finger blaming. And that's what we do as humans. What do we do? As quick as we can, quick guns, quick quick draws, whoever he is, quick draw McGraw, quick draw McGraw, that's right, that's right, quick draw, blame, 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 blame. And if if I can't blame you, I'll blame God. But it'll go someplace. Blame. You don't see Paul doing that. Paul the prisoner became Paul the writer of the prison epistles. Again, Philemon, Philippians, Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, which has helped set millions of people free from their bondage. Free. And again, Paul not only affected Philemon, his friend, but his wife, his son, and the entire church in Colossae that met in his house. And he says these words, Grace to you, and peace from God our Father. Now those are great words. They just roll off our tongue. Just like they don't mean it. They, these are phenomenal words. Grace is always first. You know the word. It's charis. Or we get our word charisma. charisma. It's favor. The acceptance of God. The grace of God. Now think about this. The acceptance of God. The favor of God. Is, re, is a requirement to have peace with God and then have the peace of God. Grace is an amazing, incredible thing that God has given us. It gives us peace in all the chaos, 
all the sinkholes, all the turmoil that comes into our lives. We have a lifesaver of peace that we can hold on to, but you've got to choose to hold on to it. You can live in your tumult. You can live in those rough waters, or you can grab onto your peace lifesaver. Grace and peace. For the believer, there's nothing like the presence of God. Knowing and sensing God. Knowing that your Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's important to remember. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. He always has your back. Or what do they see in the, in the military? They Watch your six. Watch your back. Jesus always has your back. And he's a friend that gives you eternal life. And by the way, he will get you home safely. And not only get you home safely, but he's made a home for you. Remember in my father's house there are many rooms. If we're not told you so, I go to prepare a place for you who are saved. And you know what that place is? The new Jerusalem that we just studied. It's in 1,500 by 1,500, and your room is in there with about two miles. Two, two miles of space that's just for you. It's that a little room. I mean, you're going to be in, a, in, a, in, a, in an estate. At least that's how I'm picturing it. Yeah. The grace and peace are highly treasured. Now, I have a question for you. How did Paul keep a positive attitude? How did he become not resentful through all of the crud of his life? Through all of the sinkholes of his life? Because when you read in 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 27, I don't have time to read it. He had a lot of stuff happen to him. A lot of stuff. He was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked three times. Now look, at I was on a ship. I was in a typhoon. I was in this thing going like this and going, is this going to be the one that tips over? Are we going to be the ones on the news and never found again? You know, it can be terrifying. Three times his tipped over. One time he was in the water for a day and a half. He was hungry, cold, naked. He was in prison multiple different times in different jails in different situations. How, what did he do? How did he do this? He did one thing that we must do if we want to have victory here. He practiced the presence of God. Now the question is, is how do I practice the presence of God when my sinkhole comes? Well, allow Psalm 16.8 and verse 11 to help you. Hear what the psalmist says. I have set the Lord, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Verse 11, you shall show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence, the Lord is always before me. Did you catch it? Set the Lord always before you. Now, Paul had the Lord always before him in prison. When he's stoned, when he's beaten, the Lord is before him. When you go through your trauma, place the Lord always before you. Practice the presence of God in your day. Keep him in your thoughts. And you too can have peace when the sinkhole comes into your life. Paul was changed, but Paul was not the only one changed. Philemon's life was changed. Verse 4 and 5. I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. What marked Philemon's life was change. The same thing that should have marked each one of us when we were saved. Changed. 
Your friends should see the change. Your family should see the change. Your, your, everybody, your workmates should see the change. I'm different because Jesus has come into my life. Now, how does love, he had love and faith towards Jesus. How does love manifest itself, show itself? How does love do that? Remember this, action. Action. Love is a verb, not simply a statement. Now, I think it is important that we tell people that we love them. I think that's a genuine expression of love. But we oftentimes overuse that word, don't we? I love peanut butter and jelly. I love the lions. At least Jason can say that. Where's Jason? He's right there. Jason, I love the lions. I, love, I, I don't love the I love the lions, okay? Or I love dogs, or I love cars, or I love this, or I love that. It becomes as meaningless as past the butter, okay? But it still is important to say. But love is an action. It is a verb. Jesus made this very clear. Those who love me, obey me. That's an action. John 14, 21, watch this. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. It's action. He repeats it in 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. And then in 1 John, when he writes that in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, that we obey his commandments. The mark of a changed life is we love God, love people, and it's action. It's action. We are involved. He also talks about faith. Hearing of your love and faith in verse 5. Faith is the word you've heard this many times, pistis. Pistis. And it means to believe and trust. Now the question I have for you is this. Whom are you putting your faith in? Who are you trusting? That is of utmost importance. Many, 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 hear this, many put their faith in themselves. You know, we have that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is what a lot of people think. They twist this. I can do all things through me who strengthens me. That is false. That is false. My faith must be in one greater than myself. And that would be my God. It is then that God will give me the strength to do the impossible. It'll wow the world. But as God working in me to believe and to trust Him no matter what, to forgive the unforgivable. You know that to forgive something, it takes a miracle from God. Some things are so awful, so egregious, that God has to do something in us to change us, to allow us to forgive. To forgive others, and by the way, I think one of the most difficult things that a human has is to forgive themselves. You have to be able to forgive yourselves. Once you do, then I can live out, when I have faith of God, thy will be done. Not my will be done, thy will be done. And by the way, faith is not positive thinking. It's not using my words to command to change things in life, to make something happen. That's the wrong focus. You have to have the right focus, and that is God. That is God. With faith in God, I can live out Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you cannot see. Now, let me ask you this. Does this mean if I have this type of faith, I will get whatever I want? I go to the want tree and have faith and just pick off that thing that I want. And I would say it resounding, and you know this answer because you know that that would be not true. No matter how many times people try to tell you that's true on television or radio. No, it's not true. Our faith must line up with God's will. 
our faith must line up with this well. Many times we don't understand the whys of life. Why this or why that? By faith I must believe something. That God is working out his will in my life. And I think one of the things that helps you in the sinkholes, helps you when the crud comes, helps you when the chaos comes into your life, is Romans 8.28. You grab onto that with tentacles, hold on to it, and take a ride down the Romans 8.28 road. Knowing that all things, God works all things for good for those who love Him. Doesn't mean all things are good, like I've said thousands of times, but He works all things for good for those who love them, for those who are called according to His purpose. He will bring good out of the bad somehow, some way. It's a God thing. For every believer that embraces this truth, your, lo- your life has been changed by God. You're living this thing out for real. Paul's life was changed. Philemon's life was changed. But Philemon also became a wonderful witness for our God. Verse 6. That the sharing of your faith, let that resonate in your mind. Sharing of your faith. That's something all of us are expected to do. Not just the folks with the gift of evangelism. They have a special way that they can do it. But we're all to share our faith. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Let me say this loud and clear. The scripture is saying here, share your faith, Philemon. Share your faith, believer. And remember, your belief is not simply personal and private for you. It is always to go out and to share with other people. Don't ever cop out and say, like the politicians, my faith is private and personal. Just between me and God, I don't share it with anybody else. That is not what the Bible says. Not what the Bible says. Sharing your faith simply means being a witness. You've heard this word before, martyrio. Martyrio means to confirm the facts of an event. The root is martus. You know what it comes from. The word martyr comes from there. Be a witness. Be a light all the way to the death. Now, that's probably not going to have to happen here, but it is happening all over our world today in massive numbers that people are dying for their Christian faith simply because they believe in Jesus Christ and they are killed. More so than any other time in the history of the world. Murder, even die. And then finally, verse 7, Philemon's love for the brethren was changed. He was changed by Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. Isn't that a great word? Refreshed by you, brother. Refreshed. Isn't that what our lives should bring into other people's lives? A refreshed, a sweet fragrance. A one, not, not sour <laughs> lemons. You know, refreshed. That's what, that's what we want to bring into people's lives. Now, with that stated, I'm going to make a statement here. And I don't know if you're going to agree with this or not, but I think this is to be true. It is not natural to love people. You know why? It requires sacrifice. And all of us must deal with our flesh that never wants to sacrifice anything. The flesh always wants its way, always wants to be fed, and it is not natural. It is supernatural. 
That's why Christ must come into our lives. We're simply too, too selfish. We always want something in return. No matter how we feign sacrifice or pretend to sacrifice. But God gave action. God gave action. God demonstrated His love. Action. How? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave. That's action. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The giving God gave, He took action. God's love, and listen to this, God's love, everybody, oh, just listen, everybody, if you've, if you've drifted, come back for just a second. Just come back in, just, just for just a second. God's love wants nothing in return. He doesn't need your works. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need anything from you. He is fully, fully complete in Himself. There is nothing you can do for God but accept the gift of His Son. That's all you can do. Become part of His family. The gift of salvation. God's love gift, His Son, requires a response to either receive or reject the gift. No fence walking. And by the way, it's more and more difficult to live in America today as a fence walker. It is either in one kingdom or in the other kingdom and it is becoming really obvious in this country. Really obvious. Simply one or the other. Those who are changed by Jesus will have a genuine love for the brethren. How will that be manifested? You desire to be together with the brethren. That's a little tip-off. If, if you're a Christian that wants to isolate yourself, say, hey, I'm getting my, my nourishment on TV. I, I, this guy's a great teacher on TV or on the radio, that's a fine supplement. But that is not a replacement to be part of a local body, engaged in a local body, using your spiritual gifts in that local body to edify and build up the body. That's what we're commanded to do. Let me take a breath. 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed from death to life, really born again, because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Remember, love is doing. And Philemon got involved. He knew the needs, the hurts, the difficulties of those in his home fellowship. And again, you must be together to know what others are going through. This right here is all superficial stuff, okay? How are you doing? Great! It's terrific. It's wonderful. You know, I got, it could be all kinds of crud that's happening in your life. But we're always the looking good people. But when you get into a smaller group, it becomes a little bit more difficult. When you get in with just a few friends in a group, that becomes more difficult. That's an area where you can really share your heart. Share the stuff that's going on in your life. Be careful who you share with, though. Some people are blabby. They can't hold it into themselves. You must be together. Again, isolated Christians, folk, I believe this, have a love of self live for themselves, and they're acting no different than the world. They could be saved, for sure. But they're acting no different from the world. Closing thoughts. We've discussed the awfulness of slavery in our world, past, past and present. Every culture has enslaved. We're, we're used to the, the, what we've dealt with in our country with the, with the black population. But the Irish have been enslaved. Do you know that the Indians used to enslave other Indians? 
you know that every people group has enslaved other people groups through the history of the world. Slavery is a devil thing. Slavery is an evil thing. Slavery is a fallen human thing. Just a side note. We have discussed the only way to freedom is through a relationship with Jesus. Many in our world are still slaves, but hear this. But their hearts are not slaved, enslaved because they're connected with Jesus. You can be in an Iranian prison camp. You can be in the gulag in Russia. Enslaved for years. Solzhenitsyns were there for eight years. You can't steal the man's heart. You can't. He's not, he's free. We're free men and women in Christ. And all believers have been purchased by God and have the honor. I cannot say this more resoundingly. The honor of being a slave, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. A doulos. Our will consumed with the will of our master. Is that you? Ask yourself, is that, is that me? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's my master. Remember in that word, Lord? And I'll say it again. Kurios, master, ruler, owner. I am his slave willingly. Big difference between being a Jesus slave and a human slave. We know this is an honor to be a, a bondservant of Jesus. It's a privilege beyond our comprehension. Christian slaves are unique in that they inherit everything their master owns. Now, we talked about this. I can only imagine. Jesus is as generous. We cannot imagine the generosity of Jesus. He is giving to us what he has. We are joint heirs with Christ. Everything Christ owns by divine right, we get by divine grace. What a deal. Everything, everything, I can only imagine. Oh, how Jesus changed my life, my destiny, and my eternity. And let me say this as resoundingly loudly, well, maybe it's not as loud as I can, but loud. It's an honor to submit my life to the rulership of my king. It is. My master, my ruler, my owner, what an honor. Be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close with this. The importance of forgiveness. Philemon also teaches us that a changed life involves forgiveness. And let me say this again. No forgiveness. You look at a person that has a spirit of unforgiveness. There's anger. They might try to cover it up, but they're living in anger. They're living in sadness. They're living in misery. They're trapped in their past, and they are tortured. See, forgiveness frees you from the torturers. More in a second. Forgiving others who have wronged us, who have hurt us. And again, that's often a miracle of God. Somebody rapes your kid. You're not going to just say, oh, I just forgive. That's got to be a miracle of God doing something. Corey Ten Boom, sister Betsy, was killed in that prison camp in, in, in Poland, wherever, they were, wherever, wherever it was. And she had to have God give her a spirit of forgiveness for those guards that brutalized them. But it happened. It happened. And forgiving ourselves for the things we have done, that's important and essential. Forgiveness is foundational to a successful Christian life, to a life of joy and contentment. And forgiveness, folks, frees me from the torturers. I can't develop this because of time, but Matthew 18 talks about Peter 
Peter says, how many times should I forgive, Lord? Seven times. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And he gives the illustration of someone that was forgiven much and then someone who forgave little. And that one that forgave little was turned over to the torturers. You who, we, when we do not forgive, we are the ones that suffer. That's why God wants us to forgive, to free us from the bondage of suffering. Now, I want to give you a story here. Billy Casper was a golfer. He died in 2015. Won a couple U.S. Opens. He made a trip to Japan in 1968. And he went to a hospital, military hospital there. And in that hospital, he saw a man that was shot and actually blown up. His, his left arm was blown off. His left eye was blown out. The story goes this way. They were a Marine Recon Unit. He was on his 19th recon mission. And he and 13, 13 guys, he was lieutenant, first lieutenant, Cleve McCleary. And there was a bomb crater there. They made their paws at the top of a hill. A bomb crater that gives you a lot. B-52s make these giant holes. So you, it was a good place to stop. But sappers were coming up the mountain. Now, sappers were the NVA's uh, Delta Force. They were the ones, and they were, they were like the kamikazes of the, of the Viet, Vietnamese resistance of the, of the Viet Cong or the NVA. And they would sacrifice their, sacrifice their lives. And they would have these satchel charges. And they would get through your wire and they would burst into your, into your paws, into your, into your area. And they would just sacrifice their lives or they would throw the thing in the, into the hole. And what happened that night and what happened with Billy Casper, I want to show you. And a picture will come up of who Cleve McCurry was as a young man. Stout. Fighting for his country. Believed he had a cause, because in March 1968, we thought there was a cause, okay? Cleve McCurry today, left eye gone, left arm gone. He could have been a bit embittered man. And this man right here, Billy Casper, is credited with allowing Cleve McCurry to share his testimony through the rest of his life. And it wasn't not only this guy, Maritza, could you give me the next picture? This man right here is called Ralph Taylor. Ralph Taylor, in a moment of uncommon courage, satchel charge is thrown into that B-52 hole, and Ralph Taylor had a decision to make in an instant. He could have gone this way, or he could have jumped on that satchel charge. And this man, with the courage that I think probably only God could give him, jumped on that satchel charge and saved McCleary, who was already blown partially to bits, and several other guys. There were two guys that were killed, five that were wounded. He was given the Congressional Medal of Honor posthumously. This was a hero. A ship was named after him in, in South Carolina, the USS Ralph Taylor. This is the story. That's the background. It was 1968, the height of the Vietnam War. And Billy Casper, in the prime of his golf career, after winning two U.S. Open championships, was off to Japan to play some off-season tournaments. While he was there, he wanted to visit some wounded American troops who had been convalescing from Vietnam. That day in the hospital was one of Casper's warmest. He saw a young man wounded to a point of, uh, of being in a corner, barely recognizable, and the golfer, out of all those guys that were wounded, moved closer to Cleve. A doctor told him not to bother uh, Marine First Lieutenant Patrick Cleve McCleary was ready to die. 
said Casper, but something made him approach this man. And McCleary says this, I'll never forget that day when March 3rd, 1968, was wounded after his 19th recon mission. He lost his left eye and his left arm. He said he wanted to die. Casper sensed his hopelessness as he approached the man. He put his arm around me and he leaned into me, said McCleary. And Billy Casper said this in his ear. God could use you someday. Don't give up. God could use you. Don't give up. And McCleary, McCleary said, then he thanked me for what I had done for our country. And he said, God bless you. Cleve went home to South Carolina, not to bask in his past, living in anger of over why, God, did I lose my eye or my arm? Oh, no, that was not Cleve. He became emotional, a, a motivational speaker talking about forgiveness. He coined a term, which I've shared with this group several times, helped many wounded people, many people that have had their, their, their lives just swept out from under them. And that term is this, Fido. F-I-D-O. Forget it and drive on. Embedded in that acronym is forgiveness. Cleve would not allow his past to define his future. By God's grace, he made a choice to forgive and move on. Forgiveness is simply by the grace of God being able to fido, forget it, and drive on. Forgiveness means to send away, to release from bondage, to let it go. Unforgiveness keeps pain alive. The wound never heals. Oozing discomfort is ever-present, forever resentful. And freedom frees us, heals you from past hurts. Forgiveness helps stop the pain. Loving Jesus frees us and gives us the ability, folks, to forgive the impossible, others and ourselves. And if you are trapped in unforgiveness today, maybe today will be the day when you will say, Fido, forget it and drive on to a new future, not trapped in your past. Do not be a slave to unforgiveness. You have been set free. The Son has set you free. Now you have a choice. You can live as free men and free women now. Jesus really does change everything. He really does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. And even in these first seven verses of Philemon, Lord, we had some, some good things to, to learn about forgiveness, about changed lives about how you, Lord, do the miracle in us that changes us. Now, may we live out the truth that has happened to us. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. I am not the old person I was, but I'm the new person that you have created me to be. And I want to be more and more and more conformed to the likeness of my Savior, conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ, and less like the old me. Thank you that you have us in that process. And I pray for each person here today that is struggling with unforgiveness. May this be the day that they definitively say, on this date, I put my stake in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to Fido, forget it, and I'm going to drive on by the grace of my God. I can't do it on my own. I'm calling upon you, God, and your strength to accomplish this. And you said you will. You will answer our petitions. Thank you for this time to study your word. 
And Lord, I pray you'll work your miracle in each one of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.